Welcome to Sherpa's Talking Shop, brought to you by the folks at Sherpa Marketing. Greetings world, and welcome to another edition of the Sherpa's Talking Shop podcast. I'm Stu Moffitt, and I'm here, as always, with my man, Mikey B. How are we doing? Pretty good today. We're doing good. Another good Friday morning. It's Friday, summer is here, and we are blessed to have Jessica in our presence. She is a digital marketing coordinator here at Sherpa, relatively new hire. Jessica, how are you on this lovely Friday? I'm great, thank you. I'm glad to be here on the podcast with you guys. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you uh, being here. The Sherpa Squad is uh, riding a high. We did uh, beers and botany yesterday, and that consists of making a terrarium while having some local beers. And I got to say that it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the botany. It was, it was a little bit of a challenge for that, those ter- terrariums. Is that what they're called? Terrarium. I think it's a terrarium. Yeah, well, that's why mine, that's why mine was... Uh, that's why I had to throw mine out pretty much after, but the beers were good. Barnhammer, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Barnhammer. Shout also, out to uh, Fresh Cut. Yeah, Fresh Cut too. That was uh, a great time. Right on. So Jessica, since you're the, the new voice on the pod, I'm sure the listeners out there will uh, want to know a bit about you. So just wanted to know, what are you going to be doing in uh, summer over the next little bit? What's going to keep you busy? I know you have that. Uh, I'll shout out your Instagram handle because it's a good follow. So give that a shout out and tell us a little bit about what you're, uh, where we can find you in summertime. Well, I'll be trying to enjoy it the most, as much as I can, because I miss summer so much. So I'll be out and trying new things. We'll probably go karting soon, doing, you know, road trips, um, right on. going to the park, everywhere I can. Having fun? Oh, yeah. And you are from Brazil originally, from Sao Paulo? Yes, that's right. And I moved Canada uh, in July 2014, so now it's going to be three years that I'm here. So. Right on. Jessica actually has a blog that welcomes Brazilians to Winnipeg, which is pretty great because it's not just Canada. It's our nice city here. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's growing. So we can see by the growth of the blog that Winnipeg is getting more Brazilian soon <laughs> every Absolutely. year. So that's pretty nice. Can we find you at uh, Folklorama at the Brazilian Pavilion? Probably. i never been. But yeah, I, I won't miss the next one. So I'll be there. I feel like we got to be there. We got to drink some Brazilian beers and uh, have some good food, I'm sure. And, and maybe get our dance on. What do you think, Mikey? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the one like lime drink that they have in Brazil. Like, oh, Caipirinha. Yeah, Caipirinha. Yeah, that's famous. Those, those are nice on a summer day. And Mikey, I'd ask uh, what you're doing this summer, but I think I already know you're just uh, hitting home runs for the uh, Sherpa baseball team, the Yetis there. Shout out to Mike. He, his numbers this season, I think he's got to be batting about 80% and a lot of a lot of homers for this guy. Yeah, I trained kind of hard in the spring and I mean, I'm just trying to bring it for Yeti season. Yeah, other than that, other than that, I mean, like just it's been beautiful this past week and just getting on the bikes. I think there's free weekend for Jazz Fest kicking off next weekend. And then lots of bike jams, going to those local breweries. Right on. For me, it's beers, bikes, boats, barbecues, and uh, swinging the bats. I got all the Bs. <laughs> and with that, we'll jump into the uh, value add part of the podcast. So Jessica, I know you are a passionate marketer. That's why I really wanted you here because it's quite infectious passion that you bring to the table and we jam on a variety of different digital marketing topics. You wanted to chat a little bit about Netflix marketing strategy. 
I love this topic because I know that each and every listener probably has some experience with Netflix. So why don't you, uh, why don't you take it away? What, uh, what's popping with Netflix? They amaze me every time. I think every time I see their posts, I'm just like, oh my God, this is great. They do- Posts on social media? Yeah, social okay. media marketing and the community management. So one pretty interesting topic that got my attention lately was Brazil is going through a phase right now, a pretty bad political phase. And our presidents are probably getting pitched again so like twice in like three years. Yeah. And then uh, the account, so Netflix account for uh, House of Cards, the mm. US account, they posted something in Portuguese saying in a free translation that it's hard to compete. And it got, it, so it went to the trending topics of Twitter and it stayed there for a, 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 some, some time. So it's, it's great what they do on, you know, they can be part of the conversation with all the Brazilians because they choose like a great tone that we can really relate to. So they have a customized strategy. They're not just pushing Netflix America, they're really adapting the communication material for Brazil. Yes. And in this case, they're touching on the political atmosphere and obviously using House of Cards, which is a political. amazing political show. I'm exactly. a huge fan. Very cool. It, no, it's, it's amazing and it's somewhat risky. I think it's very risky, in fact, to, to talk about politics, right? Yeah. But they do it in a way that they can actually shield themselves, like behind the, the series characters, so behind the tone of House of Cards. And that's something like Brazilians, they can really relate to. And they use memes a lot. So they are a machine of making memes, which is something Brazil is the pretty big at. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate I like that. It. I like it. And yeah, so they're doing great. Every time they can join the conversations, they are actually there. They reply to, to everyone who's commenting. And, and they have specified Brazilian Netflix account, correct? They do. Yeah. But what's interesting is that they did that post under the US account. So everything in English, 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 and then you see that post in Portuguese. So that was enough to really? get the wow. buzz going. Yeah. Interesting. And that's a, that's a strategy in and of itself, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I would, like, it would be hard because, I, I mean, there's different sets of humor, like different tones in different countries. So like, I wonder if they were spot on with like the joke, like I'm sure it could have went the other way and people could, could have got offended, but it's pretty sweet to hear that they like nailed it on all accounts in a different country, which is pretty difficult to do. I'd love to see internally if they, I imagine they would have different leads from those different geographical areas, right? Because how else can you really know the culture, right? So yes. I bet you they do have, you know, a team for each of these significant geographical areas. And I know that even in Brazil, they have different agencies working. So they, they don't have only one, they have a few managing like different sides of the business. Yeah. And they are doing just awesome. Also was thinking, I saw the topic and I was thinking like, well, memes, like they have the most content available to them. If they were to do a content marketing strategy that was to like pre-release memes for their favorite shows, and like put them on Giphy or whatever. So people like flood Giphy with House of Cards memes right before the show comes out. So then start, people are using those as reaction memes. And then it reminds them of the show. And then like- Builds the hype up before the They don't show. really need like that much hype before the show because the show and most of their shows sell themselves, but uh, it'd be pretty cool to see. Well, and that's what's been fascinating for me is that it's a genius business model in as much as once you start dominating by putting out specials and owning that content, then you start killing it in terms of generating viewership, right? So I think they've done such a good job of 
partnering with specific comedians and specific shows to have people watching on their platform. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty genius. And then further to that, in terms of building up hype, it's pretty simple, but it's cool that I'm receiving notifications based on shows that just got released that I might like. It seems they have an understanding of how to get in front of, how to get your attention. So I do, I do like that they have this profile of you. They can recommend things to you, tell you about new shows that are, are happening. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, to speak about that algorithm, the algorithm that suggests shows for you or like their rating system, I've lost complete trust in that. That's like- It, does, it doesn't work for you? I feel- No, because like I am a huge, if I'm watching a movie, I'll Google like Rotten Tomatoes or like IMDB or whatever to see if the reviews. And I go by reviews and ratings if I want to, I don't want to waste my time with a two and a half hour movie if it's going to be trash. So their system like has always been so rigged where it's like Netflix shows are always start off as five stars and like, yeah. so you watch it and I just lost complete trust. So I just don't know what to do anymore. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I know uh, one of the jokes in my brother's wedding was that all his recommended shows are strong female lead shows. <laughs> That's the, the common denominator for them. Another thing I find interesting about Netflix is it's amazing that if your brand can become present with popular just jargon and speech, so the whole Netflix and chill thing, just imagine how much free publicity that was for the brand, like yeah. incredible. And now they have shirts out there, everyone says it. it's in you know Drake songs. What a, what a great way to get free publicity yeah. right brand recognition through meme culture i wonder who created that slogan it obviously wasn't them someone so. behind the twitter keyboard <laughs> some some twitter genius well we'll end it off by uh one of the things mikey what uh what did they just release you were telling me before we actually started recording the pod it wasn't a meme they were making fun of themselves though oh yeah they had like pretty uh self-reflective like tweet it was i mean not self-reflective but it was saying it was a gif and it was like someone getting shut down and then like the tweet was when your or your sister's boyfriend's grandma changes the netflix password or something like that and it's just they know that people are using and sharing netflix accounts and they just don't care they just it's very just uh, make jokes a very human i think too they're a very human brand so if you can, anytime a business makes fun of themselves and doesn't take themselves so seriously, that's awesome. I would say, I'm gonna put this on the block, but my favorite thing, my favorite meme for Netflix is when the Kevin Durant, you to, you to real MVP, when it's like the, the one person that has the account and it's shared by 20 other people and it's like, hey, actual Netflix owner, you to real MVP. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. It's pretty good one. I, yeah. think they, I think they call it uh, like your profile and then Parasite 1, Parasite 2, Parasite 3. Yeah, so all the go. profiles that are like sharing the user. <laughs> yeah, like uh, we could have do a sh full uh, pod on Netflix. Yeah. I no, want to talk I about like product it. placement too. Like it's wild. And I'm not going to uh, go down the bunny trail, but I know Mikey and I are, are quite frustrated with the cable, like just the old school cable method of TV. So shout out to Netflix for being disruptive and changing the game. With that, let's get on to, uh, to a new topic here. I wanted to get your opinion, guys, on negative brand experiences. So I just, I, I put out a post the other day and I had two different scenarios with two different brands and how they handled a negative, or in my mind, a negative brand experience. For one, with the Daniel Wellington watch, although it's clearly not in their warranty because my girlfriend's strap had, had worn very quickly, it's very clear that they don't replace straps. They're not under 
longer warranty. Don't even bother contacting us. So I did. And they result like it was so easy. They said, we know, although it's it's quite clear that it's not in the warranty, based on the pictures, we don't stand behind that type of quality. We have your shipping address on file and we've we're shipping you a new strap next day. Please confirm this works for you. It was completely turnkey and absolutely amazing. So shout out to Daniel Wellington. On the other hand, I had a situation and a lot of back and forth with Brixton where I bought a shirt that was produced in 2013 but bought brand new by me and the tag had leaked ink all over the back and essentially destroyed the shirt. And I sent them an email about it and they said, we won't cover something that was produced in 2013 and it sucks that you bought it new but that's just the way our warranty operates, which doesn't make any sense to me, right? If you, I still brought it new and it's not like clothing should have a best before date. So it took a lot of back and forth. We ended up coming to a resolution, but I don't have the same brand affinity for Brixton as I do Daniel Wellington because they resolved the situation. I made a post about it and I had a friend who sent me a fascinating link that I will look up here called the service recovery paradox. And essentially what it is, is that it's better for a brand for you to have had a problem and for them to effectively resolve it, that will build more brand loyalty than if you didn't have a problem at all because it's such a memorable experience. Very fascinating stuff and I, and I think I agree with it. What do you guys think? Absolutely. It's the thing with reviews, right? Most of the times the, the, client, the clients that are happy, they won't leave any review. But the ones that aren't, they are way more likely to leave it. And then if you resolve it, that's just amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, they weren't happy. You took the chance. You went there. You spoke to them. You resolved it. That's something that they are going to remember. And, and they are probably talking to their friends too, as you're doing right now, right? Exactly. And that was the next thing I wanted to touch on is that marketing at its core is about relationships. And through having positive and negative relationships, it brings out word of mouth, right? Much like any relationship, you're going to talk to your friends about how things are going, both positive and negatively. And if brands switch their focus from resolving a situation with the least amount of effort. Like how, how do I deal with this so it's the lowest cost for me, right? Shift that mindset to how do I use this problem scenario to again tap into that service paradox that we were just talking about. I'm gonna use this single event as an opportunity to build not only brand loyalty, but build positive word of mouth. And that's how you have to view it. View a problem as actually an opportunity. And it sounds easy, but it's not done that often. No. And I mean, to speak to the two experiences you had, Daniel Wellington, it was an easy thing for them to do. But when you add the element of like measurement or organization to customer feedback or customer service, you then can be confident that, hey, yeah, I'll give you this strap. I know it's not under warranty. I'll clearly say that. But hey, like we want to stand by our product, new strap. If you come back two more times and try to get another strap, they have that record or they have like your customer profile. For sure. And then there it is. For Brixton, they could also do the same thing. They said, this is clear. We don't stand by this product we made in 2012 or 2013. And then no, you can't have a new product. That's just a, like a dagger in the heart almost. Absolutely. Uh, it was funny too. I said in my email to them that as a prestigious streetwear brand, you know, I asked them, I'm sure you don't stand behind this quality. You know what I mean? So for you not to do something about this is completely unacceptable. Otherwise, don't call yourself a leader and 
you know, it, it's ridiculous. And the amount of time that you spent emailing back and forth. And I will speak to that as far as like a furniture store that I like we, when I just moved out here, we had to buy a bedroom set and like there's bought like a mirror and a dresser from uh, that Ikea lookalike store, like Structube. Structube. Yeah, Structube. And um, ended up like buying the stuff, had bought something else from Structube, it like worked out great, it was an office desk, like two parts screwed on and put it together. And then this dresser was like, they gave me the wrong instructions. There was missing parts, there was like dents in it. And then the mirror that we bought like was missing like part of the leg. And I called and asked for like, what like asked what I should do. Yeah. And they said, well, it's gonna take like a month and a half to get in and we just don't have like I don't have a dresser right now like we're gonna have to take it a month and a half to get in like you're not gonna get any discount or we're not gonna deliver it to your place and there's like you're just gonna have to come pick it up again and it was a whole hassle for me initially to pick up get a truck go pick it up waited a long time to get it in general and it was probably the worst customer experience I've ever had and I still don't have the part for the beer because I refuse to go <laughs> pick, go drive there and pick up like this little piece for the leg and I'm, I don't know. The other point I have for that is just they, the customer service representative said, we can't stand by the quality because it's made overseas and like we don't have quality control over what they make. So like a lot of our stuff is missing parts. I was like, why would I ever shop with your store again? I might because it's actually good value, but it was Yeah, I, I hear you. And it's amazing how critical those human interactions are too, right? Like when you do voice a problem, how that is handled is critical for a company. So you need your employees to buy into this methodology for sure. And the amount of people I told that exact story to over the weeks that I didn't have this dresser, it was like probably 25 plus. Well, and put it this way, we're talking about this on the pod right now. And I think we're averaging something around like 150 unique listens or something like that. So there you go. Like that's, that's uh, word of mouth the for you. out there. Well, brands, let's be human and let's view these negative brand experiences as opportunities to build positive word of mouth because you can develop some success stories and, and get people talking in social media now. You know, it's at, it's at people's fingertips to say great things or say bad things. So recognize it. And, and it's and an it opportunity because most of the times they won't even complain. So you, you don't know. You're just losing them and they are not even complaining. And that's a critical thing. I think the consumer should, you know, when you're not happy, let, let companies know. Personally, I like battling with business. Well, it's, people don't complain because they will assume that they're not going to win. Exactly. Yes. So if, the, if you have the reputation of being, having great customer service, people are more likely to shop with you. People are more likely to be comfortable with your brand. It sounds like just being a, a good person. The relationship you have to businesses with any relationship, and there's so many parallels, communication, honesty, I don't know what customer service would be in a relationship, but it, you know, it'd just be making sure your expectations are actually met, right? Not the same as a normal relationship. Next topic, Mikey, I wanted to get your two cents. We've been doing uh, development of Snapchat filters here at Sherpa. Been getting in the, uh, the old boardroom and having some brainstorming sessions. We've come up with some good stuff, but there's definitely a lot of back and forth internally with clients just out in the abyss of how one can develop an effective Snapchat filter. So I wanted to get your perspective. Can you give the listeners a few points of advice on uh, what to do when creating a, a Snapchat filter? Yeah, for sure. So 
Snapchat filters are, I don't know, they're pretty fun and that's what they're meant to be. So if you're a business and you're looking for a conversion off a Snapchat filter, that's probably not what you're going to find. If you're looking for quite like quite a bit of people, so a lot of unique people to interact with your brand, then that's probably more or less what you're looking at when you're doing a Snapchat filter. So it's pretty much a cheap way of creating brand awareness or having people interacting with your brand. These filters are unique because when you're using the app Snapchat, when you're taking pictures on this app and you're sharing them with your friends, you can swipe over and there's different overlays on that photo that are usually hyper geo-targeted. So they're unique to where you are. So if you're at an event, it'll be an event branded overlay that you can use with your picture and share with your friends. So obviously this can if it's a good filter, if it's a good overlay and adds to the picture, it will be shared throughout quite a bit of mutual friends, mutual inter- like mutual people within the app. This exposure to the brand is pretty important and the best kind of companies that are using it are probably the bigger ones, McDonald's, Starbucks. And what they're doing is actually creating filters or overlays that have little inflections of their brand that are promoting interaction. The uh, message, like you can have a little bit more fun on Snapchat. You can, you don't have to be so strict and like try to get people to go to your website or whatever it is. It's more just, hey, we're here, we're in the moment, and we're 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 trying it. And that's one thing I've found for successful Snapchat filters is that the more they're creative, more experience driven, the better. You don't want to be overly salesy with a Snapchat filter, right? You want it to be fun and. It has to be in order for someone to actually use it and then share it amongst their peers, right? It's not the right moment for someone to be pushy on sales, I think, on Snapchat. When you are there, you're having fun. And I don't even use Snapchat. I I rather use Instagram stories. But the filters are something I wish I use and then save the the video and then share on Instagram. So that's something I think about doing. Or you're going to do that. I always thought about, uh, I might give it a try because the filters are so much better on Snapchat. But then you like the interface on Instagram and like you probably have more friends on Instagram too. Yeah, I'm more used to the platform, I guess, but Snapchat's something all my friends use. And every time we're together, I'm just like, those filters are just so amazing. Yeah, 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 they are. The overlays, like another comment is that when you're a brand and you're thinking about in- investing in a Snapchat filter, like it's an average price of like $20 a day if like for a small kind of area. When you set it up, you actually trace around the area in wherever, whatever city you are that you want it to appear. And it's pretty cool uh, during the setup actually. But anyways, uh, $20 a day investment. And usually if you're thinking of digital marketing, cost per click is way more per click than cost per impression. So you're getting probably a million impressions for a way cheaper rate than you're trying to get a click to your website. So it's more of a $20 for a lot of impressions, which is how you have to think about it. If you are a uh, Snapchat user, and I know there's gonna be a lot of people that use it religiously and know already what it's about, but if you're curious, get the app. And when you're in Vegas, if you find yourself in Vegas, just look at the amount of cool Snapchat filters that are around. The last time I was visiting at every single place, there was something uh, unique and cool because obviously they want to push the brand of all these different 
you know, hotels, restaurants, etc. So I find it's it's a hot spot for Snapchat filters. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and I mean, if you're a brand and you're you're going to an event or you're going to a trade show or whatever it is, it's a pretty small investment to just if people are using Snapchat, create a fun interaction with your brand at those events, and it's whatever it is, however much it costs to design the filter and you're laughing, you're getting people to interact with their brand in a, in a place that they may not have thought to find it. Get the buzz going. Get the buzz going. That's what it's all about. Moving on. I have a tidbit for you folks. And this is more of a did you know, Jessica. So curious uh, to hear your thoughts on this. So I'm going to shout out my man, Terry O'Reilly and his podcast, Under the Influence. I listened to this one, which is from like a few months ago, they were talking about marketing's influence on cultural norms. So we all know how present marketing is and, and the actual impact that it has, i.e. you know, things like engagement rings, for example. That would be the epitome of you know, marketing influencing social norms. I would argue not necessarily in the best way, but it is what it is. So one of the very interesting cultural norms that we have developed was baby colors. So boys are blue and girls are pink. So did you know that when they originally started pushing that out and started doing gender identification with baby clothes and toys, it was actually the reverse. They thought that pink was more of a masculine tone than baby blue and males were going to be wearing pink as babies and then girls would be wearing the baby blue. And it was, so this was prior to one of the wars, I believe it was World War II, maybe World War I. But you can check this all out online in any event. But the department stores were actually responsible. Uh, they made the executive decision when they were merging to reverse it for whatever reason. And when they did the reversal and had boys in baby blue and girls in pink, that ended up being what was initially sold and stuck to in the long term. So that is where that social norm came from, the color for gender identification. That's where it was developed. But I thought it was it was wildly interesting that it was actually going to be the reverse. And it wasn't until post-war that that changed. And that is why you're seeing the colors that you're seeing now. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's kind of like the uh, Corona and Lime story. Cor coronas yeah. aren't meant to have limes in it. It's just some, some restaurant did not like the taste of Corona and they thought that they're just like overpowering it with lime or something and like everyone just ran with it. It's funny you mentioned that. I think that Corona is loving the fact that there's a myth behind why <laughs> there's limes and they're beer paired. I think it does taste better with a lime personally, but I had heard it was because when they were uncapping the bottle that there was glue residue left on the, on the bottle from, from the bottling operation. And they used the limes, bartenders used to use limes to clean off the residue because it was better than using just water or, and they didn't want to use a rag. So they started using limes because they always had them at the bar. And then they just decided to start putting them into the beer and that's how the pairing happened. So that's another myth. I thought so it was just a I, crap, crap beer. They needed to add something else. Maybe, but either way, people are talking about it. Where does it come from? I, that's one inter interesting thing. When we got here, it was the first time that we had Coronas with limes. Yeah. And I was surprised as well. But then that reminds me that in Brazil, in the, like, the countryside cities, so the smaller cities around uh, Sao Paulo, they actually have beers. And on the side, they have like a small glass with like lime juice, but no sugar. So just the lime, like squeezed mm -hmm. lime, yeah. because they say it helps to digest 
the beer. So when I got here and then I had Coronas with lime, I thought that might be the reason, but I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna, I, I gotta send. I gotta send a segment of this podcast to Corona and get the uh, the real. The story. answer. Yeah, yeah, we need to know. Now. We're gonna try that out. I will shout out Corona. My favorite marketing tagline of all time is "Find your beach" by Corona. Isn't that? That's Corona. It's not Malibu. No, it's Corona. But thank you for uh, for challenging me. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, no, because I thought it was excellent. You know, you you might be having a Corona celebrating a big business deal find your beach. You might be, you know, wanting a Corona after you're done on the slopes, find your beach, right? Like it ties back to the Corona theme of the beach and what that represents, but their way of adapting that into other moments I thought was done terrifically well. And I enjoy having a Corona. Right now, I could be finding my beach in this podcast with you folks. Unfortunately, it's 10, 14 a.m. So I'm going to hold <laughs> yeah. off for now. Yeah, find your beach. They're just trying to, because they're trying to break the mold because people have Coronas when they're on the beach. They want exactly. them to have Coronas in different places. It's pretty genius. It is. We'll throw up something on the blog for uh, you folks to check out. And with that, it is time for the best and worst ads of the week. It's going to be a little different though this week, folks. Didn't want to do a best and worst ad and, and this pod is flexible. You know, we, we do what we want as creators of the pod. So I have a video here that I'm going to show Jessica and Mike for the first time. And I want to get your thoughts. It's a little different. It might not be what you would expect from this brand. And I'm curious uh, to get your two cents on it. You were listening to Rick Astley before this, so I hope it's not that video. <laughs> That's a true story. I was. And this video is also gold. Might have to throw that on the, uh, on the old blog as well. All right. Is it okay to be skinny? Pass the ball, bro. No, no. Is it okay that? to not like sports? Uh. Is it okay to be a virgin? To experiment with other guys? Is it okay for guys to wear pink? Is it okay for guys to, to be nervous? <laughs> to have long hair? To like cuts? To take a selfie? To shave you? To be depressed? <laughs> to be scared? Wait. Is it okay for me to be the little spoon? Come on, man. Go online to search and see for yourself. Uh, that's that's pretty good, especially when you when you think you know a brand. That was Axe, and they when you think you know them, and then. They kind of put out something that's that was high quality and like thought out and not typical like kind of sexist ad that they usually put out. Funny you say that. So I think what may have been the catalyst to this, and I'm not totally sure, but they received Unilever received some heat for backing Dove so hard and their thoughts on body imagery. And you know how they just launched the campaign with the different size bottles to represent different female types of female bodies. So they launched that campaign and there was a lot of back and forth in terms of a response on that. And one of the criticisms was that, hey, you do this for your Dove brand and you're using that to push product, which I love, right? Have a positive message and sell product through that. However, you also have the product that you're marketing to males which focuses on girls with a very specific look and body figure, et cetera. 
So the overarching brand, the family brand, is kind of in an interesting place because they're trying to be the good guys, but they're also, they have sort of mixed messaging, which is very interesting, right? Because different brands mean different things, but if you have Unilever, your mother brand, what does that stand for? So I think that that was the catalyst to this ad. It may or may not have been. And I too really like it. However, it's such a uh, different message than what they've traditionally pushed. As much as I like it, it it's it's just interesting. Not I'm not saying good or bad. Um, I think the message is very good, but it's very off of what you typically find from Axe, right? It's completely different. I think the, the trend right now is actually this. I, I think it is pushed not by Unilever, but I think for the year we're in, yeah. and it's all about leaving sexism behind, changing the norm. So not having one, you know, gorgeous woman on the commercial, that's that's important, that's a change, you know? Yeah, yeah real, real people, real situations. Yes. Will that help them sell their product though? Because they're typically, I was thinking about Axe ads like before this, and they usually feature like people that aren't going to use Axe. So like you think about Axe and it's like four, like 14, 15 year old boys after basketball practice or something. Looking at you, Stu. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, but they'll feature like uh, like 25 year old, like model, like male model kind of guys. And it's almost like when you're going, when you're in high school or when you're in like uh, grade guys. seven, grade eight, like you're like, oh yeah, I need to grow up. And then you're like, yeah, that's what I want to be like when I grew up with like all these like uh, whatever like messages around me and like I'm going to get axed because that's being a grown up. And like it's pretty like that definitely helps sell product. I don't know if this is like what message, how this would translate into a conversion, but I love the ad. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't know either. It's funny you mentioned that. It's like the... Uh, the different deodorants that you'd be using as you grow up through life. So on one end you got Axe, and on the other end you got like the hardcore like arid antiperspirant that you <laughs> see at like, you know, the winter clubs or like squash club, I'm sure, like the really like hardcore old guy stuff. And then right, you know, young adults are like this old spice range. Pretty, pretty funny. And it's hey, it's all different companies targeting different people, right? So appreciate your two cents on that, Mikey. We'll leave it up to you guys. Uh, we'll get this ad on the on the blog and, and you can weigh in. I think that about wraps it up, folks. Thank you, listeners. You can find me on Twitter, at Stu Said It. Jessica? I'm only on Instagram and Facebook. It's hard to say. Casal Abaixo de Zero, which is my blog in Portuguese. So. Wait, say that again? What is that? Casal Abaixo de Zero. Okay, I'm going to have to link that because uh, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to uh, to type that one out right now. So we'll, we'll get that on the blog. But check it out. She's got great Insta game, and she's uh, a lovely presence for sure. Yeah, um, who's that Mike B? Who's that Brown on Instagram? Release that one today. Check him out. Check me out. Right on. Let's have a good weekend here. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Appreciate it.